0: Well, blessed be the name. Amen to that. Well, I'd like to begin this morning by talking about some hardships that I had to endure uh, in recent days of my life. Now, if you've been here with me through the series of Jonah, you realize that in Jonah 2, I talked about a situation that was a little bit difficult for me uh, to endure, and it was the fact that I had lost my job. I had worked there at this position for over a decade, and it was my plan to retire there. That was my plan. It was my plan to finish off with a certain group of athletes that I was working with, uh, to potentially get them college scholarships, and uh, send them off on their way, and, and a happy day. That was my plan. My plan was not to be fired because of honesty, for standing up for what I believed was true. That was not my plan. My plan was not to see the athletes that I had worked with for over eight years, 10 years, some of them, And to see them scatter away, all my coaching just gone. All the shaping that I have done, all the conditioning, all the drilling, all the spotting, all the hard work, gone. Twelve years, gone in seven minutes. That wasn't my plan. It wasn't in my plan to have now a two-hour commute to work. An hour there, and an hour back. You see, I had a a five-minute drive to work. And if I had all the lights, it was about a three-and-a-half-minute drive to work. It wasn't my plan to, to ha- suddenly have this time to drive. It just wasn't my plan for my career. Now, another example that I can give you of a, of a hardship that I had to endure has just happened really recently. I don't want to have to endure watching my wife, who I love so much, battle through stage three breast cancer not something that I want to endure. My family and I don't want to do it. We don't want to have to know what the effects of chemotherapy is going to do to her. We don't want to know how to to milk drain tubes. We don't want to know this stuff. We don't want to have to worry about the health of Heather. We just don't. Yet here we are. You know, going through some of these moments brought on an onslaught of different emotions for me. There were times where I was completely frustrated. There were times where I felt disoriented. I didn't know what to do. I was confused. What should I go? Where should I go? What should I be doing? What's the best course of action for me right now? I was confused. And yeah, there were even times in these circumstances where I got angry. So how about you? Has there ever been anything in your life where you had a certain plan, a certain direction that you wanted to go, and and suddenly things changed? Suddenly maybe God's will came into your life and changed your plans? Is there something? Or maybe there's something that you had to endure, something that you really, truly just don't want to have to deal with, but yet you have to endure it. Now, maybe sometimes going through these emotions, you felt like I did. Maybe you were frustrated. Maybe you were disoriented at times, and maybe sometimes you got angry, just like me. See, it's easy in these circumstances to grow bitter. It's easy in these circumstances to become angry. When we lose friends, when we lose jobs, through sickness, through slander, it's easy to lose our perspective as to who is truly sovereign in our lives. When we focus on the why me's and the poor me's, we get caught up in the downward spiral of anger. But do we do well to be angry? See, anger can be damaging to our lives. When we get angry and we focus on ourselves, we lose sight of the sovereignty of God. See, it becomes more about our will and not God's will. And then suddenly, things are no longer well with our soul. So the big question that I have for us this morning and the title of today's message is do you trust God's compassion? Do you trust it? When God acts and when God moves in your lives, is it okay in your heart? Even if it's a direction that you don't want to go, even if it's something that you have to endure that you don't want to endure, do you trust his compassion? See, today we're going to finish the book of Jonah and we're going to be seeing that Jonah's heart is just not in a good spot. He's angry and displeased over the course of the direction that God had willed for his life. I mean, he's a pot who's angry at the potter. And this morning, I don't want to sit here and focus on the imperfections of Jonah. That's not the point of this message. But rather, the point of this message is to focus on the perfection of God. Not the imperfection of Jonah, but the perfection of God. I want us to be able to see more of God in the book of Jonah than Jonah in the book of Jonah. Because every page of this book is just filled with his wonderful personality. It just shines forth from the pages. We get a really good example and a really good look at just the heart that God has. And we should be encouraged. We should be motivating we should be uplifted and rejoicing that our Lord cares for the lost. So before we get into Jonah 4 and before we finish it off, I'm just going to do a little quick little recap. Because it's been some time since we've been in Jonah. So Jonah 1. God comes in to Jonah's life, commissions him, says, Hey, Jonah, I need you to go to the great city of Nineveh. I need you to preach judgment against it. And Jonah says, No, nope, not going to do it. They're the enemies. So what does Jonah do? He goes down to Joppa, gets on a ship, and he starts sailing into the open ocean, where there becomes a high-speed pursuit between God and Jonah. Well, after a mighty tempest, uh, they throw Jonah in the water. Jonah is sinking to his demise, and the Lord is merciful and, uh, and appoints a great fish to come swallow Jonah up, and there he'll stay for three days and three nights. That was Jonah 1. Jonah 1 was a message and a lesson for us about the sovereignty of God. Jonah chapter 2 was a chapter of prayer. It was Jonah's prayer while inside the belly of the fish. And in his prayer, he talks about the troubles and the heartaches that he had to go through, that he had to suffer. Well, Jonah repents inside the belly of that fish. And he sits there and says, Lord, what I vow, I will pay. And he even exclaims, salvation is from the Lord. Again, God being merciful has Jonah spit out of that great fish. Jonah chapter 2 was a message of how we should cultivate a heart of prayer always, daily, and not just when times hit hard, not just when troubles hit. We, went, we entered into Jonah 3, and, and we learned about the powerful word of God. Jonah, out of the belly of the fish now, goes into that great city of Nineveh, and he proclaims his, his eight-word message. You know, He says 40 days, and then Nineveh's going to be overthrown. Well, the wickedness... Uh, Of the Ninevites, they all repent, every single one of them, from the highest to the lowest. Uh, They turn away from their wickedness. They turn away from their evil ways, and God relents. God spares the Ninevites. This chapter was a chapter uh, of repentance, and that the powerful word of God will be heard. So with that being done, that brings us to Jonah chapter 4. And we're going to conclude this book today. So if you haven't already, I would just invite you to open up your books or, or your Bibles or your electronic devices. We're going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4, and I will read the first 11 verses here. Jonah 4, verse 1. It says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting of disaster. Therefore now, Lord, oh, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself. And he sat there in it under the shade till he was able to see what would become of the city. Now the Lord appointed a great plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of this plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and that attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for this plant? And he said, Yes, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who did not know their right from their left and also much cattle? Let's quickly bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we come to you grateful in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would be Uh, with us in this message, that we would be encouraged, and that uh, we would examine our hearts for you. Thank you for this day, Father, and it's in your Son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. So we're going to come into our first point today. The first point is going to come from verses 1 through 5, and it's entitled, Compassion Through Callousness. And we're going to see in these first five verses, we're going to notice the interaction between Jonah and God. And we'll see their heart stance towards one another. And where Jonah is callous and angry, God is soft and compassionate. And we get a good feel for where the heart of our Savior is for the lost. And we don't have to go very far into verse 1 to see just exactly where Jonah's heart is. I mean, we read right away that Jonah is angry and he's displeased. And not only is he displeased, he's exceedingly displeased. But why? Why is Jonah so angry? Why is he so displeased? Why is he so callous? Well, to get the answer to that, we have to go back to Jonah 3, verse 10. In Jonah three ten, it says, when God saw what they did, they being the Ninevites, and how they turned away from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said that he would do to them. And he didn't do it. So Jonah didn't want God's mercy to fall on the Ninevites. Jonah wanted judgment to come onto the Ninevites. He didn't want salvation to fall on them, he wanted condemnation. And we leave chapter 3 with God being merciful and true to his words and relenting of disaster, and we enter into chapter 4 walking in to Jonah's anger. Now, Jonah forgets that he's called to be a servant of God. He forgets this. Let us not forget this either. We are called to be servants of God. And it's easy to get caught up in our daily routines. Easy to get in, to wake up, put on our clothes, get in the car, go, take on the day. I got to do this. I got to do this. I got to do this. And sometimes we forget about the will of God in our lives. Daily, we have to surrender. Daily. We have to surrender our desires. We have to surrender our judgment. We have to surrender our pride. We can't forget that we're called to be servants of God. And that's something that Jonah doesn't do. That's something that he forgot. And it wasn't Jonah's duty to try to reason or or question with God his motives concerning Nineveh. Jonah didn't trust God. Do we? So Jonah was all about his anger and his displeasure. But through his callousness, Jonah did know something that was good. Through his crazy behavior, Jonah did get something right. Jonah knew the attributes of God. He knew that God was gracious. He knew that God was merciful. He knew that God was slow to anger. He knew that God abounds in steadfast love and that God will relent of disaster. Not because Jonah was a theologian, yeah, Jonah knew his scripture, he knew the book, yeah, he knew this, but Jonah also knew it because he saw it active in his own life. I mean, God was gracious in saving the mariners, and he saved the Ninevites. God was merciful in appointing this great fish to come swallow and spit Jonah out. God was, God was slow to anger in dealing with his stubborn and rebellious prophet. God was abounding in steadfast love and the fact that he came to Jonah and sat there and said, hey, go com- I'm going to commission you to go to Nineveh. And God was relenting of disaster when he spared the Ninevites. So Jonah knew these attributes of God. Do we know them in our lives? Just take a moment and think about it. Where is God gracious in your life? Where is God being merciful with you daily? Where is he being merciful with you and your family? How is God being slow to anger with you? How? How is he he relenting of disaster for your family, for your family's family? How? See, these are some attributes that that make up God. And if someone came to you and said, "Hey, hey, what's God like? Who is God? And if you sat there and said, "Hey, you know what? God is gracious, God is merciful, God is slow to anger, he abounds in steadfast love, and he relents of disaster. You would be right. Those are some attributes that make up God. It's not all, but but those are really good attributes. But don't take my word for it. Don't just believe it because I said it. Believe it because it's in Scripture, because God has said it. And he said it not only in Jonah 4.2. He says it in Exodus 34.6. He says it in Numbers 14.18. He says it in Psalm 86.15 and Psalm 148.8. He says it in Joel 2.13, and then he says it here in, Joel, in Jonah 4.2. God's mercy and compassion for the lost is what fuels Jonah's anger, and it causes him to lash out. And in verse 3, he says, Oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is totally surprising for me. This is shocking. I mean, Jonah should have been exceedingly happy uh, over the fact that these people, the Ninevites, relented. They listened. He should have been exceedingly happy. But he wasn't. He was exceedingly displeased. I mean, it's a prophet's job to be the mouthpiece of God to the people. And where other prophets have had their words ignored and dismissed, Jonah's words were, were heard. They listened to Jonah. Everyone repented. The whole city of Nineveh repented. Their wicked ways, they turned away. I mean, he should have been ecstatic. But no, he's not. It's a prophet's dream. And rather than feeling great about the situation, Jonah asks for death. I mean, what a shocking stance for a prophet of God to take. Now, it's kind of a harsh response. It's better for me to die than to live. And he's saying this and he's praying this to God. And what does God do? God answers with compassion. He answers with softness. The Lord says, do you do well to be angry? I mean, can you, can you see this? I, it's better for me to die, God. I, I don't want to live, God. I just, it's better for me to die. Do you do well to be angry, Jonah? Do you do well? I mean, this is a soft response to harshness, to callousness. This is Proverbs 15.1 in action. That's what this is. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath. Now, what a great example this is for us. How wonderful this is for us and a great reminder when we have to deal with people that come into our lives that possibly take a harsh stance to us. And that, that, that's, that's true. We have situations where people are harsh with us. There are times where people will take a stance against us and they may spit out their venom at us. But we have a choice. Do we be soft and we do Proverbs fifty fifteen one, Or do we lash back and spit the venom right back out at them? That's not abounding in steadfast love if we do that. Here the Lord displays an amazing example of what love is. God was slow to anger with Jonah, but would we expect anything different from our God? The Lord was patient with Jonah, but at the same time, the Lord was patient with Jonah from the very beginning. God is not doing anything different than being himself by being God. Now, Jonah continues to be unhappy and angry in his heart and in his spirit. He was calloused to the souls of Nineveh. He didn't have a heart for those people. He didn't have a heart for them. Is there anyone in your life that you don't have a heart towards? Is there anyone in your life that you're callous towards? Do you have those people in your life? Jonah goes out of the city, and he makes a booth for himself, and he sits there, and he he watches. Now, a booth just means that he he makes a a little temporary enclosure, and he just sits there, and we read in verse 5 that he sat so that he could see what becomes of the city. Now, Jonah separates himself from God, and he runs away again. Jonah returns to the sin. Remember in Jonah 1? God comes and he commissions Jonah, and so what does Jonah do? He runs away. He goes down to Joppa. He jumps on a ship and he tries to flee. What's Jonah doing here now? He's doing the same thing. He has to leave the city. I'm going to separate myself from Lord from the presence of the Lord. And I'm going to sit in this enclosure, and I'm going to watch and wait. And there's Jonah. Now, this is a dangerous thing to do. <laughs> this is dangerous. It's one thing if Jonah had separated himself and isolated himself from the Lord so that he could be still and to worship God. But that's not what Jonah was doing. Jonah was not isolating himself to praise and worship God and to be still. No. Jonah was separating himself so that he can see if judgment was going to reign because that's where his heart was. And Jonah goes from prophet to spectator. The servant didn't have a servant's heart here. Jonah wanted to see if God's judgment would rain down, just like it did in Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what he was doing. Jonah was consumed in his anger. Jonah was consumed in his displeasure. And you know what? Jonah became blind. Jonah's anger and displeasure blinded him. He missed the fact, he, he, he misses the fact that God's grace and mercy is beautiful he misses it. The same mercy that saved Jonah, the same mercy that relented and pulled him out of the fish, it's the same mercy that saved the Ninevites. It's the same mercy that that saved the mariners. And rather than seeing it, Jonah was angry towards it. Yeah, God, you can save me, but don't save those people. Yeah, God, be kind to me, but don't be kind to them. Just me. What a selfish heart that Sometimes in our anger, we become blind, too. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes when we get frustrated and we get angry, we become blind. We become blind to God's grace and mercy. In our frustrations, sometimes we may want to separate ourselves from those that love us. Sometimes when we get angry, we just want to separate and isolate ourselves. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to be here right now. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to be alone and I'm going to sit in my anger and displeasure. Now Maybe I'm the only one that feels that way, but sometimes when I get angry, I want to do that too. But it's a dangerous thing to do that. Do you know what's a beautiful thing? When we get angry, when we get frustrated, we want to separate ourselves from God, guess what? He doesn't separate himself from us stays with us. When we're blind in our heart, the Lord sees. When we become calloused in our souls in the moment, the Lord still has compassion. And the Lord resides with us. It's a good thing that the Lord is compassionate through callousness. So with that, let's move to our second point. Our second point is entitled, Compassion in Creating. We're going to see that this is going to come from verses 6 through 9. So we all know this. God is sovereign in all manners of life. And God, in his sovereignty, uh, uses his authority to create and to appoint. Now remember in Jonah 1, the Lord appointed this great fish to come and swallow Jonah up. What we're going to see here in these next three verses is that, that the Lord is not done creating. The Lord is not done appointing. In verse 6, the Lord appoints and creates a plant to come up over Jonah to be shade for him. Why? To save him from his discomfort. That's what we read. <laughs> to save him from his discomfort. That's wild to me. Here's Jonah, this prophet of God, acting out, being rebellious, spitting his venom out at God and saying, it's better for me to die than to live. I don't care about your mercy, God. I don't care that you spared him. I'm going to separate myself and I'm going to go sit over here and I'm going to be by myself because I don't like what you did and I don't like what you had to say to me, so I'm going to sit here. Now, how many of us right now, if we had to suffer through that, would still be compassionate towards that person? How many of us right now, if we were God, oh, you want to die, Jonah? Jonah? Okay, adios. I got what I needed from you. You did what I asked you to do. I, 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 I made you go to Nineveh. You did what I asked you to do. You spoke. People repented. They were able to relent because you, you were obedient, finally. And here he is, still spitting it out. And, and, and the Lord is still compassionate to Jonah. Talk about abounding and steadfast love, right? Well, through Jonah's rebellion and backsliding, the Lord still cares for him, and He cares about the state of His comfort. You know, the Lord cares about your comfort. The Lord cares about you, even if we act just wicked sometimes. He still cares for you, he cares about your heart, and He cares about your comfort. So. The Lord blesses Jonah with this plant. But Jonah, again, being in his frustration and anger, is blind. Blind to the one who is providing the blessing. Jonah focused on the created, not the creator. See, Jonah was so happy about this plant and the shade that it provided for him. And he was totally blind (coughs) to the fact that God was the one who created the plant. God was the one who who made it grow, and because he made it grow, it it provided a shade, and that shade gave a a, a little temporary relief from the heat and from the sun, and Jonah was just so into this plant, he totally misses the blessing. He misses it. For Jonah, it was all about Jonah. Now, we have to be careful not to make it about us. Jonah was all about Jonah. Let's not be about us. Jake can't be all about Jake. You can't be all about you. We can't be blind to the blessings that God brings us in our lives to comfort us, to provide for us. Why? Because He loves us and He cares about the state of our comfort. So He blesses us. You know, sometimes we miss the little things that our sovereign Lord brings into our lives. And maybe like Jonah, maybe there are times where we too focus too much on the created and not the creator. But let's be mindful to the sovereign workings that our Lord and Savior brings into our lives, the blessings that he provides for us. Let's be mindful of it. Let's not focus too hard on the created. If we focus too hard on the created, those things can kind of become an idol for us. That's dangerous. For Jonah, this plant became an idol. Now we move to verse 7, and the Lord creates and appoints a worm. And it says here that when dawn comes, God creates this worm and appoints it and it attacks the plant, so it withers. The Lord gives and the Lord takes. Now the Lord takes away the plant, providing comforting shade to Jonah. The father is going to teach his son a lesson here, using this plant and this worm. Okay. Okay. I really had to think about this a lot here. Here he comes, he blesses Jonah, he gives him comfort, and then he sends this worm to come in and eat his comfort. You know, sometimes maybe the Lord may bring a metaphoric worm into our lives to pull us out of our comfort sometimes. I talked about how I lost my job, I started thinking about it, maybe I was too comfortable. Maybe I needed to leave. Maybe this was a way of the Lord sending in the worm to eat that from me and to humble me. Maybe that's what he was doing. Maybe I, I am supposed to have that two-hour commute to work. And maybe he, bring, he brings a worm into your life to take you out of your comfort so that you can be humbled in your heart and so that you too can look at him and say, yes, I'm sorry, Father. Thank you for your blessing." Maybe. But right now, God's going to use this worm, and it's going to destroy the thing that brought Jonah comfort, and and, and the Lord is going to use this as an example, as a lesson to teach Jonah. But what does this do? This angers Jonah even more. In verse 8, we see that God again creates and appoints, this time he he appoints a scorching east wind, and it comes in and it just beats down on the head of Jonah. Jonah. His shade is gone. So now Jonah has to just this bear with all that heat just coming down on top of him. And Jonah is just sweating. And I'm sure he's not drinking fluids and hydrating himself. And we know how dangerous that could be, right? Uh, I A mean, heat stroke, possibly? I don't know. But here he is. Jonah's just sweating. He's getting beat down. And Jonah says, as his life was fainting, again, he just wishes for death. Now, This isn't the the, the first time that Jonah was fainting. Remember in Jonah chapter two, he's sinking, right? He's got weeds wrapped around his head and and he's falling down to the bottom of the ocean. And and, and it says here, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. That was the first time his life was fainting in Jonah two. Well, here we are in Jonah four and he's fainting again. This time because the sun was beating down on top of him. The plant is gone, the shade's gone, and Jonah says, it's better for me to die than to live. Hm. I really hope you can see just how messed up Jonah's heart is. I hope you really can see it. It's obvious. We look at this as an outsider looking in, and it's obvious. What's not obvious sometimes is when we're the ones caught up in it. When we're the ones that are disgruntled. When we're the ones that is caught up in anger. When we're the ones that are caught up in frustration. There are Jonah-like moments where we just sit out there and, bleh, and we feel this way, but we're blind to it. So let us just keep reflecting on this, in learning from the book of Jonah, learning from Jonah's actions, and more importantly, learning from God's actions and how God responds to this type of behavior. So, again, Jonah's mixed up in his thinking, and anger will do that to you. Anger will do that to a person. Like I said, Jonah is a pot who's angry at the potter. And his anger and his displeasure causes him to wish for death the second time. My brothers and sisters, don't overlook what can happen to us if anger and displeasure come and take root into our hearts. These are two very strong, dangerous emotions. When we separate and when we isolate ourselves the way Jonah did, and we allow anger and bitterness to lead our thinking, it could be dangerous to our lives. It could be catastrophic to us. This can affect our home life. This can affect our work life. This can affect our social life. It could just lead us down this spiral. We don't want to get caught up in it. You know what? Sometimes going down this spiral, man, sometimes it could even make us think like Jonah here, that it's better for us to die than to live. You see how dangerous that is? See how dangerous it is to separate ourselves and to isolate ourselves from God and to sit there and to sulk in it. You know who loves it? Satan. You know who wants you to be isolated? You know who wants you to feel this way? The opposer. The enemy. He loves when we're disgruntled and we isolate. He loves when we're angry and we separate. He loves it. Easy pickings for him. Easy to get at you and prick at you. Easy for him to whisper those thoughts in your head. Hey, it's better that you should die than to live. It's sad. It's uh, horrible. I think about all the souls that have fell prey to those thoughts. Brothers and sisters, be careful. We don't want to go down that downward spiral of confusion. But here Jonah is. He's caught up in it. And as we enter into verse 9, we're going to see more of God's compassion and softness towards Jonah's callousness. In response to Jonah's plea for death, the Lord answers again with softness. Remember, Jonah says, it's better for me to die than to live. And, and, And here God is again and saying, do you do well to be angry for this plant? And where Jonah comes at God twice, asking for death twice, God responds with softness, saying, "Do you do well to be angry?" And Jonah's last recorded words in the Book of Jonah is, "Yes, yes, Lord, I do do well to be angry, angry enough to die." <laughs> wow, Jonah. Wow, man. You know, if I ever had a chance to talk to God, I don't think I would have the guts to speak in this tone to him. It baffles my mind that this servant of God would even speak that way to him. It baffles my mind that a servant of God could even have this type of heart. And verse 9 is a wonderful example of the callous harshness and the soft compassion. It's it right here in verse 9. You could see it, It's like a yin-yang type thing right now. Hard, soft, right here. But the Lord stays compassionate with Jonah, and he insightfully begins to teach Jonah a very important lesson. And the lesson is going to bring us into our third point. The third point is compassion in contention. Compassion in contention. And this is going to come from verses 10 through 11. And in verse 10 uh, and 11, the Lord says, You pity this plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? Now, the Lord contends with Jonah, and he tries to make it real clear for him. God asked Jonah, you pity a plant? You didn't pity the souls of Nineveh. You didn't pity those people, but you pity this plant? Hmm. And the Lord points out that Jonah did nothing to do with this plant. He did nothing to produce this plant. He did nothing to make it grow. He did nothing. Nothing. It was God that did all the creating. Jonah was just caught up in himself. Be careful not to get caught up with yourselves either. Again, I'll say this. Don't get caught up in your possessions. Don't get caught up in what you think is great right now. It, it, it was God who worked in your life. It was God that provided the blessings. So God creates this plant. God created the people of Nineveh. And because of so, how much more should the Lord pity the Ninevites? And the Lord here is just teaching Jonah that his reach... For people goes far beyond Israel. It goes way beyond Israel. And his mercy and his compassion to, to, to who he wants to show it to is his choice. It's God's choice. God's the one who's sovereign. Now, the Lord in his sovereignty may work in people's lives that we don't like. Or maybe we believe that those people don't deserve to have God's grace and mercy shined upon them. But maybe we need to remember that it's the Lord that reigns supreme, not us. He's the one that forms. He's the one that creates, not us. If God wants to work in the hearts of gangbangers, then so be it. Let him do it. If God wants to work in the hearts of those that believe in abortion, then fine, let him work. It's not on us to sit there and reason and and, and try to figure it out. It's not our job. It's not our duty. Our duty is to be appreciative, to love him, and to be obedient. That's it. Even if we don't understand. He will work his will out in any way and in any one. We don't need to understand it. We just have to be obedient. God will work his mercy as how he sees fit. We get to Romans 9.15, and we'll sit there and we'll read that the Lord says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will show compassion on whom I will have compassion with. Exodus 33.19, it says, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. See, God is sovereign, and he's the father of mercies. And he'll extend his compassion and mercies out to the wayward, to the fallen, to the needful souls. And guess what? He's not tight-fisted with it. He doesn't hold it in his hand. You don't have to pry his fist open to get mercy. Please, Lord, let me just pull on those fingers just a little harder. Just please, let me just try to pry it out of your hand. Father, I need some of your mercy. Just let me know. F- here, have my mercy. It's open hand for you. And you know what? here. Guess what? Look at the scars in my hands. You see these scars? They're for you. It's my mercy for you. It's my compassion for you, these scars. And they're open for you. Regardless of how rotten you were. Regardless of, of how callous your heart may be. Just believe me. Just love in me. Look at my hands for you. This is God. And he contends with Jonah. And he says, should not I pity Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left? I mean, basically God's saying, hey, should not I have my will done with my creation? I created it. It's my will. I'm sovereign. Should not I be able to do what I want, Jonah? And this is the lesson that he wants Jonah to grasp and understand. The Ninevites were the wayward. They were the fallen. They were the needful. But more importantly, they were God's. They were his people. And they couldn't discern for themselves. But the Ninevites, They laid themselves down. They turned away from the wickedness and from the evil that was plaguing their lives. They turned away, and believe me, they were wicked. Believe me, they were evil. They turned away. You know, I don't know how to say this. because I'm just being pricked now, but we're not stuck in who we are. We can keep changing. We could keep growing in love. We could keep extending. We're not solidly done yet. He could still keep working in us, just like he worked with the Ninevites. So God relents because God's love is an abounding love, and it's steadfast. And you know what? God doesn't take pleasure in death. God doesn't want to see death. God contends with Jonah that all souls belong to him. And he will work in any manner that he chooses and in anyone that he chooses. And it's a great lesson for us to remember this morning. So with that, we're going to come to our conclusion. I'm kind of excited because it was my goal to be done before an hour. And man, I'm going to do it. (laughs) I'm really excited about this. Steve's going to be really proud of me. (laughs) Now, the book finishes off with a question. Question. A question from God to Jonah. Saying, should not I pity Nineveh? And that's where I'm going to leave us this morning. I'm going to leave us with a question. Can we allow God to work out his will and it be okay in our hearts? Can we allow God to move? Can we allow his compassion to flow through life, our lives, and can we be okay with it? Can it be well with our souls, regardless of how we feel, regardless of what we think? Can we be okay with it? Can we allow God to reign sovereign in our hearts? Through cancer, can we praise him? In hardships, can we praise him? Through loss of friends, loss of jobs, loss of identity, can we praise him? Can we allow him to reign in our hearts? Or are we going to make it all about us? Can we stay obedient to him? Rather than separating and isolating ourselves, can we run, can we run towards him the way a child would run into the open arms of their mother? Can we do that? Or do we get bitter? Do we get angry? But again, let's just remember what God says to Jonah. And I would highly encourage you at times when you're angry to sit there and remember the Lord's voice. Do you do well to be angry? I'm not going to lie. I had to sit there and say that to myself probably 25 times this week. Jacob, do you do well to be angry? Jacob, do you do well to be frustrated? Jonah made it all about himself and he forgets that God's the one that's worthy. God is worthy. Revelations 4.11 says, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. See, God is the one worthy of praise in all and every circumstances of life. Jonah Fully misses this point. Why could Jonah not surrender his pride and judgment? Why couldn't he just surrender his judgmental heart? The Lord acted graciously towards Jonah. The Lord was merciful and slow to anger with Jonah. The Lord was abounding in steadfast love towards him. And he relented of disaster. Why? Could Jonah, a prophet of God, a theologian, why could he not deny himself? And why couldn't he be obedient to the Lord? why is it so hard for us sometimes to be obedient? Why is it so hard for us sometimes to surrender daily? Why? In our worst moments, when we deserve to be swatted by the hand of God, he remains patient with us. He stays compassionate with us. He abounds in steadfast love for us, with us. He's slow to anger with us. Jonah was a prophet of God who didn't surrender and humble his heart. He was a stubborn prophet, and he didn't trust God's compassion. Will we be Christians with the same problem? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you because we all suffer needs. Father, we're so grateful that in our needs that you are a gracious and merciful and slow to anger God. We are so thankful and grateful that you abound in steadfast love, Father. What an amazing example it is that in times when we get angry and frustrated, we want to separate ourselves. That you don't separate yourself from us because you love us. Father, I pray that you would continue to relent of disaster that that you And maybe attended our way, Father, that you block from us, because again, you love us. Help us to have eyes to see, Father, the blessings that you provide for us daily for us, Father. Help us to surrender our judgmental heart. Help us not to judge others, but to see the souls, Father. They are just souls that you created. Even if we don't like them, even if we don't want to like them, it is not our job, Father. To question your motives. It's our job to be obedient servants. So Lord, I pray that you would stay with us, Father, that you would continue to love us through the hard times, and that we would be encouraged to look up to you, Father, and that we would rely on you and trust your compassion, Lord, for our lives. Thank you for this moment of prayer, Father. We love you, and it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So with that, the book of Jonah is done.